Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Autocar Business's Editor's Briefing. I'm Autocar's News Editor Felix Page. I'm here today with Business Correspondent Nick Gibbs, Autocar Editor Mark Tishaw and Editorial Director Jim Holder. We'll be rounding up the latest topics uh, from across the automotive industry that are having an impact on uh, people who work in the industry and people who buy cars. And I think the biggest story uh, that's uh, straddling that boundary at the moment and seems to be the one we talk about in every interview is the rise of agency sales most recently with Ford's announcement that it's moving to that model across Europe. And Mark, I wanted to come to you first because you've written about this quite recently under the headline, has anyone actually asked for this? Has anyone? Well, this is the thing. We we got to a conclusion where there was perhaps a, a small sample set of people who are time poor, um, generally quite well off and not that fussed about getting the best deal possible which doesn't leave that many people because um you know, i know plenty of more well-off people who watch every single penny uh with just as much care as people sort of lower down the income boundaries i think agency is something that if you were starting again if you're a new brand you can see why it would appeal um it was as a kind of a new way of doing things without any kind of legacy burden um but even if you look at tesla now i think they've got 40 stores or something in the uk they've got about 60 stores or something in california so are they dealerships they probably claim otherwise but i think that they they kind of get the physical presence i was chatting to paul philpot the, the kia boss um a couple of weeks ago and he was quite clear they're not going down that route and he asked the question like who does it benefit um what is it what is it there there for and the current model isn't broken i mean so people people like people when buying from people and there's no i mean on our what car our sister brand on their target pricing i mean the, the, historically the the average discount has been somewhere between 1500 and 2000 pounds put that on every single car sale and you you quickly run into the, the hundreds of millions if not billions of uh, of potential extra money on top of every car price and i can't imagine any car maker is going to unilaterally um perhaps with a suspicious eye unilaterally decide to cut their prices by two thousand pounds or so at the exact same time of going to agency interesting you should mention new brands because uh just last week or the week before i had an announcement that genesis is looking to ramp up its its presence with 15 new retail partners in the uk jim what what's the uh, what's the thinking behind that i think it's probably an admission that they they can't run dealerships as well as dealers um they've had a bit of experience with uh, the stores that they've already opened uh i never got the the feeling that it was super simple certainly i mystery shopped one in westfield and had a pretty terrible customer experience uh, and I got the feeling they recognise that dealer partners know a lot more about retail sales than they do. And therefore, you know, keeping it all in-house was a headache that they could live without. Certainly, that's where they found a lot of success uh, in the United States uh, while growing the brand. Uh, but I think you have to remember, you know, Genesis's volumes are tiny uh, relative to the likes of, of Ford and other people we're hearing looking at the agency model. It's much easier to control. Uh, the pricing uh, and the customer experience when you've got very, very few cars to shift. I think as you look at it on a scale uh, and, and a sort of mass market scale, it does get a lot harder. And I think probably you know, that's where Paul Philpott's comments come from. Uh, we also have to consider what is mass market. Obviously, Mercedes-Benz have jumped early uh, compared to the opposition. Everyone is watching what they're doing in the UK. 
in particular. You know, they haven't had a, a stellar first two months. Some will argue it's it's too early to really start talking about the impacts of agency on, on their figures. But, you know, already they're down about 26% year on year, uh, about 2,500 less cars registered in just two months. Market share significantly down from 5.6% to about 3.5%. You know, these are the trends we're looking at now. They may well argue all those cars they've sold are far more profitable so therefore they're happy to, to lose that share but in an industry that's famously always chased share chased volume you know these are potential issues uh, that everyone will be watching as they edge towards agency i think i think that you know that's the point isn't it you know to, to define agency it's basically the the, the car maker uh, taking over the sales operation you, you buy a car from them rather than buying from a dealer the dealer acts as the agent and uh, gets paid a fee by the car maker for you know for, for selling that car um and the, and the old the wholesale model which is what most of them do now um basically the, the the car maker sells the car to the dealer and says okay this is your guided price but you've also got this amount of margin to play with and if you want to give that away as discount you can uh, so we get into the situation where you know car the price of a car isn't the price of a car and uh, that's what people want to change i think to you know particularly premium brands they want people to go on the uh, the uh, the the website and say ah that's the price of the car that's the price i'm going to pay at the, the dealer so it, it's sort of become a, a a bit muddled and it's 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 tough to sort of define what they want to do um and that's why they're getting into a bit of a pickle about it because the dealers themselves need to put a lot of money into uh, you know creating these dealerships but and they want to know that they're going to have a decent enough fee for selling the cars and i think that's the sort of struggle point at the moment you, you mentioned jim that it was uh, maybe a bit too early to start thinking about whether um agency has has caused that drop in in Mercedes sales. When will we start be being able to paint a picture of the balance between agency and, and wholesale in terms of the impact it's having on each brand? And uh, can you imagine a world where brands turn away from it in the future? I think the difficulty is that a lot of manufacturers are currently trying to look after pipelines of orders. They've built up nicely during the semiconductor crisis, and they therefore are able to control to some extent uh, the balance between supply and demand uh, against what the factories can produce. Um, I think, you know, the rumour mill is in full swing. We, we are hearing rumours quite strongly that Mercedes is already trying to incentivize dealers to uh, entice customers to buy their vehicles. So that suggests Mercedes is having a bit of a wobble already. Um, and the difficulty then is, is throwing that forward as to how far they want to keep that pipeline going and how far they're prepared to cut production in order to keep that pipeline if the customer demand isn't there. Um, I think what the great unknown is, is that all of this has been modelled, but nobody really knows how the consumer will react and how the consumer particularly will react in a time of tough economic uh, conditions. You know, it's one thing being brand loyal to Mercedes, but it's another thing being brand loyal when you realise you can get a 10% discount by walking down to the BMW or Audi dealership. And I think nobody knows whether that means sales drop by 25%, 50%, 75% or more. 
uh, and just how canny are these customers and how really are bought into the brands are they? Uh, and that's what we've got to wait and see. I would have thought, though, by mid-year, we should have a good indication uh, of where Mercedes in the UK certainly stands with the agency model. I think it, it has worked in other countries. I mean, we're not uh, we're not the guinea pig here. I mean, Mercedes have done it in uh, you know places like Sweden, uh, Australia, um, others. I mean, the Land Rover who are switching at the end of next year. They've done it in South Africa, you know. And it, it, different countries obviously have a different marketplace. And the, the UK is one of the ones that came to be. You know, everyone's going to be looking to see what happens here because we're a lot savvier when it comes to uh, as, as Jim says, chasing a discount and uh and discounts are you know something that nobody likes to be seen to be doing but they do anyway so you, you sort, of sort of hidden in things like you know cheaper lease rates um your dealer might give you an extra grand off your car but you know it, 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 it it's not immediately obvious uh whereas direct sales you have to be really obvious because it's on your website and this is where you see with tesla you know, they, they drop uh, the price of their cars and suddenly it's a news story because you can see it. Everybody, everybody can see it. And, and therefore, you know, existing customers who've just paid, um, you know, I don't know, 50,000 for their Model Y and now the car's gone sale for 45, you know, they're going to be pissed off because they missed the cutoff point and that harm, harms residuals as well. So it, it's, a, it's a really dangerous it, it, it's it's quite dangerous. Tesla can probably get away with it because you know they have quite a uh, a motivated customer base. Where other uh, uh, um, customers for other company car companies maybe not so much. I mean, Mercedes in general is a brand kind of at a feels like a bit of a crossroads itself. It, this growth was built on fundamentally cheap PCP deals on A classes. You know, hundred ninety nine pounds a month and. They couldn't sell enough of the things. It was regularly in the top ten sales charts uh, in the UK, and it seemed that it was getting as common as a Ford Fiesta on on the road. And that will be fresh in people's memories as well. People probably still in some of those PCP deals that are coming to the end, and then they'll go and have an entirely different experience when they return to their Mercedes dealership. Mercedes has tried to kind of fill every single niche. Even you know, in our, our job, it's been a bit hard to keep up with. You know, what's a GLC? Coupe from an EQE S and all, everything else. It's they're they're a bit of a, a bit of a baffling brand that uh, is trying to not only realign its entire model range, turning its back on um, some of its smallest, least profitable models, while also changing the way they sell uh, sell the cars. And as I'm the consumer, and I've got used to buying these Mercedes or entering into the brand, walking in there, it's going to be a bit hard to keep up with as well. The the kind of the radical change in the way one buys the car as well. Yeah, but maybe Mercedes investors will be applauding this, I think. And that's Mercedes would have made that point and they illustrated it with a, a diamond. They flipped the diamond the other way around. So the fat part was at the top, where, uh, whereas before the fat part was at the bottom, meaning that they were selling a lot of uh, A classes, but for very small m margin. Now they want to go and sell things like Maybachs and AMGs and uh, EQEs, and where the margin is a lot fatter. And uh, they, they, you know, that becomes their core. And uh, you know, if they, they they say they will stay in the, uh, in the lower segments, but uh, at a smaller volume than before. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because uh, the, the second topic uh, that we should discuss today, really, because it's uh, such a hot topic at the moment, is is the increase in car prices generally. 
Um, we've spoken about the return of discounts and the impact that can have on profitability for manufacturers. But the fact remains that the cheapest cars on sale, not just at Mercedes dealerships, but uh, from all brands, are disappearing quite rapidly or climbing in price um, by various means. Nick, do you envisage this year that uh, return to volume production uh, for many manufacturers as the chip crisis eases, we'll, we'll see those prices come back down? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we're going to see discounts and we're going to uh, we're already seeing it in, in, to some extent. Um, if you look on, uh, at the, well, for example, the uh, the what car target price is uh, showing increasing numbers of discounts out there. And uh, if you look at some of the brands that are doing them, it's the volume brands like uh, Nissan is at the top at the moment for, for, for discounting cars. Basically, uh, production's coming back on. They want to, uh, you know, sort of get rid of the backlog of orders. They want to get back to uh, making cars because if you build more cars in your in your plants, uh, the cost of that car comes down because of the economies of scale. Uh, so you you're more efficient. Your car becomes cheaper, so you can sell it more cheaply. Um, the and, and the, the net result is cheaper cars. Now the car companies don't want to go back to the point where they're just piling up cars at the dealer and selling them at a loss. Um, or something close to a loss. So we're going to get this sort of tension as to where, at what point do they say, no, enough, we're not going to go back to the days of discounting. But uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a better year for buying cars if, uh, as a car buyer. And can the economies of scale that you mentioned, can they protect profits? Yes, they can. And I think uh, you know, what we've seen is over the last couple of years, uh, cost cutting has been, uh, you know, the reduction of like fixed costs within the car companies has been a lot of it's been taken away. You know, they've become extremely good at, uh, you know, shaving everything down to the, to, you know, the, the final pennies to, the, the, to be able to create a, a car company that works, but also is, is cost effective. I mean, you have to look at Stellantis for their ability to create. Uh, profits by just looking into every corner and making sure that they've got the best, uh, uh, you know, that, that they shave every last penny off um, of what they what they can. So I think we could be, a, it could be a year where everybody makes money, you know, sort of like the car, the, the people who buy cars are going to get it for as cheap as they, as perhaps, you know, they were before, but, it, and then the car companies are also making money. We'll see. But that ties in, doesn't it, to uh, the, the rising cost of car production as model ranges go electric and we've, we've yet to see battery prices come down uh, tangibly uh, since uh, electric cars surged in popularity over the last couple of years. So how will car manufacturers balance that, uh, that need to push EVs with a need to sort of bring costs down in line with competitors? Um, if that's if that's aimed at me, well, because the, the yeah on electric, uh, they've still got a job to do because the, the cost of raw materials is still still pretty high. Um, and the, the, then you've got Tesla. I know that uh, Tesla's probably going to be going to be moving up to uh, talking about that, but they have shown that they can uh, they can cut costs uh, because they have a lower uh, cost base, and uh, they can, certainly they can cut prices. Um, so far, no one in Europe has responded. They have in China and the US, um, but I, I don't think they really can. They don't. If they start cutting costs off, um, cutting the price of electric cars, they're going to start um, making losses. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Well, let's move on to Tesla then, because that's uh, <laughs> fresh in everyone's memory. Is the Investor Day presentation last week where we got our 
our first look at nothing really beyond the uh, the execs that run the company while Elon Musk is busy at Twitter. Um, and it was it was insightful for that reason. Uh, and it was interesting to hear from them, a lot of them for the first time. Did we actually learn anything? I, we did, actually. I, I, somebody, we all follow Tesla quite closely over the years. And you don't hear very much beyond uh you know musk's extremely bold pronouncements that uh, you know either we're all going to be sending our cars off to work as uh, autonomous taxis while we work from home um but th th this was a chance to see some of the other people who ran the who run the company and you realize that the company's not all musk i think that was the the purpose um and and, and so you sort of got the idea that we, it's, it's got a deep bench there there are people there who know what they're talking about and they were talking about it in a very informative way for example how they're going to be you know sort of revolutionizing the actual making of the car um by um you know sort of upending henry ford's linear production process that's been you know basically refined but not changed for 100 years uh it was interesting but maybe not revelationary no, I think the uh, the headline that, that everyone's gone with and certainly the, the biggest news from an automotive perspective was the production methods that will facilitate development of this new platform. Um, but, but it's hard to it's hard to gauge the feasibility of that when we have yet to see Cybertruck, Roadster, Semi, Reach, volume production. Jim, I'd like to come to you because it's nearly a year now since you quoted quite a damning line uh from someone at tesla elon's behavior in the public sphere is a frequent source of distraction and embarrassment for us uh hearing him speak at the investor day was the first time we've heard from him in a tesla context publicly for a long time he's been so wrapped up in the public eye for for twitter reasons do you think he is still an effective car company ceo um i think uh, he is and always will be a double-edged uh, asset uh, on the one hand capable of uh the most extraordinary and outrageous comments uh, for any leader of any type of company that that would make most people wince but by the same token you know he does have that special magic stardust uh, about him that means that when he speaks everyone listens um and that he he can through his own pronouncements alone swing the value of the company and, and the shares in the company from one extreme to the other uh for good and for bad so i you know i think he's a liability in many ways but i also think that any car company would probably uh trade that liability to have the asset that comes with him uh, and i think it will probably ever be us uh i think the only watch out for all that is that there is this growing awareness that a lot of what he says simply doesn't come true that uh, he is a master of the distractionary tactic uh, you know when you trace it back it's amazing how many of uh, products and announcements have coincided with the exact moment that they're in trouble you know whether it's sending a, a roadster to space or launching cybertruck it seemed to be uh, a uh, the exact moment that there were other questions that perhaps needed ans answering but got overlooked in the, the rush to look at this shiny new thing that he was talking about and i think as that awareness grows and a certain weariness rises uh it will polarize the fan base uh versus the doubters even more 
but it could spill over and it could definitely spill over when you look into some of the regulatory investigations going on into the company, some of the fines that they've actually had to pay as a result of some of the, the claims they've been making, not necessarily stacking up. Uh, you know, if those things keep building, they could snowball. Uh, but I also think there's a greater issue, which uh, I'm sure we'll come on to with Tesla, is is their rabid ambition uh, towards 20 million car sales a year. 20 million. <laughs> it's insane. You know, twice insane. as many as the, the world's largest car builder today. And, and, and the issues that brings with it, you know, really do threaten the 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 absolute fabric of car making and tesla as a car company well, it's, a it's a fantastic point because the the question now really is what is the competitive edge that tesla's products have we're seeing charging networks expand and uh, enhance at a great rate of knots and you know cars from mercedes ford volkswagen they can all do comparable range per charges um so mark you know from a product point of view do you think they're appealing enough to to facilitate that objective as a classic case of take the badges off and probably not but tesla is is unique even on autocar magazine cover next to me and we're you know on our cover of the new cla we've called it merck's tesla the model free roll that they are a reference point they are they are the benchmark in that in that set in the electric car segment i you see model um model s's now they do look quite old and they are quite an old car i know the model x isn't really one for here but and the core is always in the in the three and the y i know people have got the model y for example and uh they don't you know i'll admit they know nothing about cars and wouldn't really pass comment on them but they all think god this thing doesn't ride very well it's incredibly uncomfortable um but it's a case of but it's a tesla they've sort of bought into the bought into the cult and i think a, a point just going back a tiny bit uh the question around elon musk as a good car company ceo i mean i think he's he's probably a good tesla ceo but would you put him in charge of uh volkswagen or ford or, or mercedes he kind of his face fits there so well and uh that's kind of part of the reason why the company's in the position it's in it's 10 years since uh Oh, probably about 11 or 12 actually went since tesla opened its three-month factory and i actually was there for the opening of that and got to meet elon musk and but on that day um it's probably the most media friendly day they ever did they let us sort of in the prototypes and showed us around the factory there was all kinds of executives being pushed forward spent a lot of time with, with peter rawlinson who went off to go and set up lucid but back then it was it was quite equitable it was everyone kind of had their voice had their say this was the bloke who engineered it this is the one who designed it this is the person leading the factory whereas now in the in the gap since it's the elon musk show and uh, perhaps the investor day and seeing some some new faces emerge shows that maybe it's not quite the elon musk show going forward however we all know elon uh, jim says he's only one tweet away from uh, from reversing that in, in an instant. Well, I did wonder if the uh, presentation of other high-ranking executives was partly a, an, an acknowledgement on Tesla's behalf that Elon Musk has stirred up some dissent among not just tes uh, Tesla customers, but Twitter users and, and the general public as well with his online actions recently. But um, if you had to, from, from all the emerging car makers from around the world right now, if you had to identify one that you think could be rivaling Tesla for that mythical 20 million figure in 10 years time, who would it be? 
well, I mean, there's only one is well, the two you know, sort of uh, Volkswagen and uh, and Toyota because they've got the scale and they've already got the, the networks in place to sell the, those cars. But I, I don't think they're going to go beyond the 10 million they do at the moment. And I and I and I, I'm almost certain that Tesla's going to get nowhere near 10 million, let alone 20. Uh, but that's the scale of the ambition, and um, yeah, and they have grown. You know, I think they it took them. Uh, the four millionth car was uh, built uh, during the test during the investor day, which was handy, and um, it, it, and they came from a very short space. I mean, back in twenty seventeen, they were only delivering hundred thousand cars a year. I mean, that's uh, so they've grown incredibly fast. But uh, now we get into the situation where you, you know the, the people who who wanted one have probably got one, and, uh, and, and so they have to expand the market. To to people who wouldn't normally consider a, a a car like this, they've got to go cheaper, and I and I think they they, they will. They they spent a lot of time on the investor day demonstrating how they take the cost out of cars. You know, for example, they reckon their drive unit uh, in the in the Model Y and, and the Model Three is a thousand dollars, and they say this is cheaper than any other car company, and and it it, it might well be. You know, they do things like the mega casting where they re uh, replace, you know, sort of dozens of underbody parts with a single uh, slab of aluminium, you know, cleverly uh, cast to um, do the same job. Um, so all the all these efficiencies create, um, cut the cost. But um, I think Musk's um, problem is that, you know, once there's a Tesla on every street corner, it, they're going to sort of lose some of their sheen, and uh, people are going to want something else. And you know, they're not working in a vacuum here. That that everyone's looking at them. Everyone's kept ch chasing to catch up, particularly Chinese, and uh, and I think you know, and and of course, the the likes of VW and uh, everyone else. So um, they're, they're not going to have it easy for as long as they'd like to be able to get to anywhere near twenty million. Frankly, I don't think it's going to happen, but they're definitely going to grow further. I'm only going to ask this because uh, we've got a reporter currently out driving the Atto 3. The impressions will be live by the time this podcast uh, is published. But uh, BYD, does it have the vertical integration, do you think, to uh, become a new Tesla? Oh, yes. Well, see, they, they are even more vertically integrated, BYD, which is interesting because they, they have they have ships <laughs> they have uh, and they build batteries. Uh, I mean, Tesla has got uh, batteries, but but, but only, uh, you know, they've got battery plants, but in partnership with uh, the likes of Panasonic, with Cattle, whereas uh, BYD actually build their own batteries and uh, and very cost effectively as well. Uh, I think BYD's problem is one of brand. Uh, Tesla has done very well to create its, this brand, uh, largely around Musk, but uh, also around their other advantages, um, particularly things like software, whereas BYD, I think, is... Uh, has got a long way to go on that front but uh yeah the, the the byd is a classic case of somebody out there with the same cost advantages in terms of vertical integration and can can come along and you, you know and could end up wiping the floor with uh with tesla fantastic that just about brings us to the end uh, of this latest episode i think uh, just a reminder that if you head to autocar.co.uk forward slash autocar hyphen business, you can sign up to receive exclusive content, including this editor's briefing directly to your email inbox every other day uh, and access to all our exclusive articles online. 
So I'll say thank you to Mark Tishaw, Nick Gibbs and Jim Holder for joining me today. And thank you to you for listening. See you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.